I was here, I looked, okay, I was here pretty much exactly one year ago. So this must be like an annual trip, right? Um, February 23rd, I was here last year. So give or take a couple days. Here I am, I'm back. Um, and I wonder if any of you were here then, if anyone remembers what I talked about last time. That's okay, I had to look too. Um, I always thought that that question was funny growing up when the pastor would ask that, but he would ask it for like last week, and I'd be like, um, probably Jesus, and there's Bible involved. Last year, and I'm just saying this by way of update, last year I talked about the will of God, and the will of God for all of us, maybe this will start ringing some bells, the will of God for all of us, according to 1 Thessalonians 5, the end, verse 16 through 18, is that we pray, we rejoice, and we give thanks. Yeah, we got it. All right, cool. All the time, pray, rejoice, give thanks. And the reason, I think I shared this, the reason that I was sharing about the will of God last time is because I was sort of struggling in this time of where do I go next. I had just finished my ordination, and I was applying at churches and being told no a lot. And I was like, so where am I going? Um, and then COVID happened, and then we planted a church. Um, it doesn't really sound like the normal thing to do during COVID, but what's normal in COVID? Nobody knows. Um, so myself and a, a team of other people planted a church in Elmira called City of Light, and we moved there, which was also just an act in the grace of God. Um, so, so many things have happened since we were here last time. So I just wanted to give that as a, as a mini update and just say thank you for having me this morning. This is actually one of my favorite things to do. I love to go to other churches, other places, and just meet the Big C Church and just get to share what I feel like God is placing on my heart um, at those different times. So as I start, I'm going to pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you that you've placed these words on my heart this morning. But God, I, I pray that these are your words and not mine. I pray that there's, if there's anything that's not of you, that I wouldn't say it. And if I still say it, that you wouldn't let people hear it. We want to hear from you and you alone, God. Speak to us, convict us, and mold our hearts into the sons and daughters that you want us to be molded into. Amen. This morning, I am going to talk a little bit about love. Right? We're in the month, month of February, so we are going to talk about love this morning. Love, to get a little bit ahead of myself and give you a teaser of where we're going, love is our highest calling as Christians, right? Do you know that? Love is our highest calling as Christians. When um, Jesus was asked, it, asked what our greatest commandment is, what's the greatest commandment? Love God, love others, right? First and second greatest commandment. Love God, love others, everything else will follow. Now, we're going to be focusing on loving people this morning, and we're going to get there eventually um, but there's, some there's a few other things that I feel like we need to sort of walk through first. So we're going to start by you telling me 
what does the world say? Okay, the world, don't give me Bible yet. What does the world say that love is? A feeling, okay, good. Couple more. What is love according to the world? Good. What was that? Caring about others. That's good. Okay. Yeah. Some of these things I have. Okay. Love according to the world is caring. I have that. Love is mistaken for lust at times. Love is butterflies, right? A feeling. Love is, according to the world, I think love is convenient. Right? When we're done with it, we just sort of throw it away. So, if that's love, then I thought about these things. as I asked myself the question, how does the world say that we should maintain love? How do we maintain relationships according to the world? I said one way is we give so that we can get something right that happens a lot in relationships like i'll do this because i know something else is going to follow or i won't do this until they do something for me right that's worldly way to maintain relationship to maintain love here's a saying that i really hate happy wife happy life i hate that saying but the world says that, right? Happy wife, happy life. We're not going to broach any difficult topics with my wife because if I do, then it's going to be difficult. We might fight. I don't like that saying. Another way we maintain love is just to tell people what they want to hear, right? We're not going to have any difficult conversations with other people either because, well, it'll make things difficult and awkward and all the fun things. Here's the thing, the world, here's why I ask those questions, the world does not know what love is, right? Love comes from the Father. He showed his love to us by sending his son to die on a cross. That's the true picture of love. See, biblical love is difficult. Biblical love lays down its life for another. Biblical love is deeply rooted in Christ. Biblical love is never failing. Biblical love is the gospel. So let's start talking about biblical love. I'm going to start in Luke. This is going to be like a Bible drill this morning. Um, it be all over the place. We're going to start in Luke um, chapter 10, verse 27. Luke 10, 27 says this. It says, and he answered, this is uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So I guess a little bit of um, background. Uh, the Good Samaritan, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test and said, teacher, what shall I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said, you know what is written in the law. And this is what the lawyer says. And the lawyer's right. right? He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. So our highest calling is love. Love God, love others. And we are to walk in this calling of love. 
love, this is, this is a fun little rabbit trail for you to think about later. Love is more important to God than anything else. And this is where some of you are going to go, wait, what are you going to say? Love is more important to God than even religious practices. Do you know that? I didn't. Um, but it struck me, uh, in, in Matthew, right, this is, this is how it was explained. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and 24, Jesus is, is telling his disciples about giving an offering, right? Giving an offering, that's a religious practice. And Jesus says that if you're giving an offering and you remember that your brother has a sin against you, there's a relationship, then you need to not give your offering. You need to go fix that relationship and then come back and give your offering. Love is more important than even religious practice. Love is our highest calling. So we know we're supposed to love God and love others. And in Exodus 34, verse 14, it comes up there before I get there, then I'll just use that. Exodus 34:14 um, says this: "You shall worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God." Okay, so we're supposed to love God. The first stage of love: God is a jealous God. Anything that comes before God is an idol. An idol is something that you love more than God. This includes, and this is sort of foreshadowing what we're getting to, this includes times when we protect our relationships by not being obedient to what God has called us to in love. We need to love God, what it says in Luke, and we need to love others. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19 to 21. 1 John 4. 19 to 21. It says, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother passage really struck me and goes hand in hand with what I just said from Acts 34. But if we love God, but we don't have love for other, we don't actually love God. That's what it says. Not there, but in 1 John. If we love, we say we love God, but we don't love others, then we don't actually love God. Because God is jealous, and we're putting our relationships with others maybe before him. So what do we do about that? Well, it says it in the end of that passage in 1 John, the end of chapter 21. It says, whoever loves God must also love his brother. So this is what we're going to talk about this morning, is loving others. Loving others. And I'm going to add our sisters as well. Um, 
in Christ. And we're going to be in Ephesians 4.15. This is like the main verse that I'm going to jump off of for this morning. As you turn there to Ephesians 4.15, we need to know the context. Context is super important of anything that we read in Scripture, right? I can make Scripture say anything without context. The context, the context of this passage in Ephesians chapter 4 is unity, right? The main point of Ephesians chapter 4 is unity, unity with brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and right before this verse happens, um, this passage talks about not being tossed to and fro by new doctrine and, and all these things. Okay? So being, having unity in one another, but also this passage is talking about being rooted in Scripture. Okay? Being solid in Scripture. So how do we become solid? Ephesians 4.15 says this. Rather... Again, that word rather is talking about being tossed by every wind of doctrine. Rather, speaking the truth in love. I'm going to read that part again. Speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So how do we, come, how do we become solid in Scripture? How do we become rooted in our identity in Christ, we speak the truth in love. Why? Why do we speak the truth in love? Again, in the passage. Because when we speak the truth in love, we grow up in every way. Grow up in every way. And what's the result of those things? That we will be more like Christ. Now, in the context of this passage, again, is unity, right? The context of this passage is unity. And I want us to think about the world again. The world. The world, when we think about unity, I think in most situations, would say that we should tread lightly in relationships so that we don't offend each other, right? Because when we offend each other, then, then that makes things difficult and awkward. People might leave. So the world would say to maintain unity, we need to tread lightly around our relationships. But I think Scripture here is saying to maintain unity, we grow together. How do we grow together? We speak truth. And this is, this is what I've felt God saying to me. And, and what I mean when I say this is what I felt God saying to me is, this is where God is, is helping me grow right now, right? This is, I, I'm not <laughs> giving this message because I've arrived, giving this message because I'm really bad at this, okay? Just to be, but here's what I felt God has been saying to me, that, that love for others has become cheap love. Even this passage, Ephesians 4.15, I know that I have heard this passage preached or at least taught about as people saying that, that we, we should speak the truth in love, that we should, because we love each other, not, not bring up the hard things. 
right? Because if, if we're being loving, then, then we need to know sort of how to talk to each other and, and how, to like, how to just be careful with each other with our relationships. But I think that that's, that's cheap. That's cheap love. Instead, when we speak the truth in love, we should be helping each other grow into the image of Christ. See, worldly unity says to maintain unity and show love, we should be careful with relationships. And godly unity says that when we speak in love, we deepen relationships with each other and we grow in Christ. Loving conversations will be hard at times because when we think about love, Love lays down its life for each other. Love lays down its own self for the other person. Godly love asks hard questions of each other. Godly love calls us up to something greater while meeting us where we are. Okay, that, that part's real important. Godly love calls us up to something greater while meeting us where we are. And if we're going to meet each other where we are, then we need to be in relationship with one another and know where we are. Okay, I'm going to give some examples. <laughs> because I, I think that, that when we say that, we're like, well, I don't know, sometimes I feel like I should just go and, and, and preach on the street corner and, and just tell people about the gospel no matter what. And sometimes that's what we're called to do, don't get me wrong. But I think that when we look at the life of Jesus and when we look at the life of other people in Scripture, we see how they meet people where they are, but they don't let them stay there. Okay? So, the first sort of example that I, that I have here is we need to love unbelievers. We need to love unbelievers. And that means calling them to repentance. It means sharing the gospel with them while meeting them where they are. So important. A couple examples of that. First, in John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. John chapter 8, verse 1 through 11. Actually, 2 through 11, sorry. because It starts in 2. Um, it says this, Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. He, being Jesus, came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and, placed, and placing her in their midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This, they said, to test him, that they might have that they might have some charge to bring against him. 
Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw the stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. Now, as a pause, I've always wanted to know what Jesus was writing because Jesus is writing it and I want to know. But we don't know. It's a question we can ask maybe when we get to heaven. Um, verse 9, But when they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Verse 10, Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No, Lord. Pause. So Jesus met this woman where she was, right? He just saved her from death, right? He stood up for her from this mob of religious zealots and said, Who's going to throw the first stone? The person without sin. Go ahead. No one? That's what I thought. Okay? Jesus met her where she is, but then he says this. He says, and Jesus says, Neither do I condemn you. Go from now on, sin no more. Jesus met her where she's at and called her to repentance. Go and sin no more. Okay? Godly love calls us up to something greater while meeting us where we are. Another example of this that I'm not going to read because it's kind of long is in Mark chapter 10. Okay, you can look at this one later. In Mark chapter 10, um, this is the story of the rich young ruler. Right? You guys know this story? It's a great story. Jesus talks to this guy who comes to him and says, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And um, Jesus responds, basically, you know the commandments, you know what to do, and he says, I do all these things. And Jesus says, okay, I'll meet you where you are. Sell everything. And the rich young ruler, and this, this passage is hard for me, recognizes that he can't inherit eternal life because he, he just can't do that. He just can't sell everything. Right? So godly love, Jesus met the rich young ruler where he is, and called him to something greater, even though Jesus knew, I believe Jesus knows all things, right? Jesus knew that he was not going to come to repentance. He was not going to come to a saving relationship with him and his Savior. But he still called him up to where he is. Sometimes we try to love unbelievers by not offending them with the gospel. But that's not love for them. Because when we do that, we're letting them go down a path of destruction. We're letting them go down a path where they're not going to come to terms with who they are in their relationship with God, and they will be eternally separated from him. We have to have love for unbelievers by meeting them where they are and calling them to something greater. So after that, after that time where we love them, then they're, they are a spiritually immature person, right? That's what the Bible calls you and I when we first come to repentance, when we first hear the gospel and believe it, is that we are now a spiritually immature person. The Bible tells us we need to go from drinking milk to eating meat. There's all these different analogies. 
And there's this story in Acts, chapter 8, verse 9 to 24-ish, of this time when someone accepts the gospel and starts to follow it, but then he's called to something greater. Let's read it. Verse 9, chapter 8 of Acts. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. Right? Verse 1. After this, David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, Go up, go up. David said, To which shall I go up? And he said, To Hebron. So David went there. Yeah, I'm good. No, I'm not. I think I want chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 1 through 10. There we go. It says this. I wonder if I said two to them, too. Probably. <laughs> Chapter 12, verse 1 through 10. It says this. And the Lord said, Nathan, to David. There we go. That sounds a lot better. He came to him and said to him, Nathan says to David, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the one poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up, and it grew up with him and his children. It used to eat of the morsel and drink of his cup and lie in his arms, and it was like a daughter to him. Okay, so he has a pet sheep. Verse 4. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, the poor man's pet, and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Verse 5. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. I mean, my anger is kind of kindled against him too. It's kind of a really bad thing to do to someone. Was kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. Now remember, this is after David just committed adultery, just committed murder, just did a whole lot of bad things. Verse 7, Nathan says to David, You are the man. I love that. <laughs> David, like, walked right into it. <laughs> Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little... This was interesting to me. This had never stood out to me before. If this were too little, if all these things were too little, God says, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife for wife 
and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Goes on to this whole real terrible stuff that has to happen to David because of it. But David is this spiritually mature person who sins, royally sins. So Nathan is sent to call him to something greater. Okay, He meets him where he's at. Now, he's spiritually mature, I'm saying. So meeting him where he's at is, is a pretty high calling, I think. But he still calls him to growth. Right? He still says, you need to repent. You need to change. You need to never do that again. Spiritual, mature people need to be called to growth. See, godly love, again, calls us up to something greater while meeting us where we are. Now, after the spiritually growing person, there's, like, my mind went to a million places, right? So I'm not going to, like, read all these different verses, but we never stop growing as believers. This is another rabbit trail slash aside. Um, We never stop growing as believers, right? There's so many areas of spiritual discipline, and I think that we're called to help each other grow in those areas, in the areas of meditation and prayer and fasting and study and and confession and guidance and worship and, and all these things. Right. The point is that love calls us to something greater while meeting us where we are. And again, in my own life, these are some of the most difficult conversations I have to have. And maybe it's just me. I would rather talk to the the person who, I don't know, know there's in they're in sin, knows they're not right with God then have to go to a fellow brother or sister in Christ and be like, hey, you know, God has so much more for you than to make that joke that you just made. God has so much more for you than to talk about that person that way. Those are some of the hardest conversations, because what do we want to do? What do I want to (laughs) do? I just want to join in in gossip. I just want to join in in little joking matters that sometimes aren't really little joking matters. We must speak the truth in love, which includes speaking the truth in love. Now, I do need to say this before I close, because I, I do believe that some people's personalities aren't like mine, and they like to call people out. And right now, maybe, maybe they're just online, right? We can pick on them because they're not here to defend themselves. But right now, there might be a few people who are going, oh, yes, permission to call people out. Oh, it's going to be so good. Wait till they hear what I have for them. James chapter 1, verse 19 to 21. James chapter 1, verse 19 to 21. Real important if you're thinking that way, and it's real important for all of us too. It says, Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So as we're speaking the truth in love, we also have to recognize that there's going to be other people speaking truth to us. And we have to hear them. Have to hear them. Because if we don't, if we just get angry, if we just make their life terrible because they're trying to call us out, then that does not produce the righteousness of God. And that's what Ephesians 4.15 says, right? We're supposed to speak the truth in love. Why? So that we can build each other up. So that we can grow together into the image of Christ. This part of my sermon was added when we were sitting in the car drinking coffee. Maybe some of you have heard of Rafi Zacharias and just the terrible things that have come out about him recently. The hardest thing that I actually learned this morning from my lovely wife, the hardest thing for me to hear about that is that people did call him out and he didn't listen. They didn't know exactly what was going on, but they sort of wondered. And then they're wondering because they were being good stewards of what God had given them to call him out. They said, hey, maybe you shouldn't do these things. But he didn't listen. He got angry. He made their lives terrible. We must listen to each other and grow together. Must speak, but we also must listen and grow together. God started speaking to me about this topic through a conversation that I was having with a couple of the other leaders from um, my church. In, in that conversation, one of the leaders, um, Trey, he said, said this. He said, if someone says they love me, but they do not call me out when I am in sin, then they do not actually love me. If we're saying we love each other, we're calling ourselves out to actually love each other. We say we love each other, but we don't call each other out when we see sin. And I'll add, and we also don't listen to others when they see sin in us. Then we don't actually have love for each other. And that goes for each other, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, when we let them live in sin. But that also goes for unbelievers, right? If we say that we love others, but we are afraid of offending them with the truth of the gospel, which, by the way, them not knowing that is leading them to death. If we're afraid of offending them, so we don't speak the gospel to them, then we don't actually have love for them either. So as we have relationship, this is my concluding thought, as we have relationship with people and listen to the Spirit, we will know where they are in their walk with God. Then we must speak truth into their lives, which will call them into greater relationship with God, and we will all 
grow into deeper relationships with others as we grow together into the image of Christ. And in that, remember to listen to truth as well. I'm going to conclude in prayer, and then I believe you're dismissed in whatever that looks like for you. Dear Lord, I thank you for your word that is sharper than any two-edged sword that does convict so that we can grow into sons and daughters that have the image of your son. Lord, I pray that we walk in love and that we know that that means that we have difficult conversations to maintain unity to grow together into who Christ wants us to be. Lord, be with us as we go from here. And in your name I pray. Amen. You are dismissed.